Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, Summer Special. Today, we're looking back on a jaw-dropping Saturday in the Champions League at Barcelona. Famous short ass shows his class in Turin, Juve, after a rough night on Friday, fall back on a nice cool Pirlo. With Bayern steaming through to the quarterfinals as well, we're all sorted now for the final eight of the Champions League and the Europa League. And we'll be looking ahead today to Monday's action with Inter Bayer Leverkusen and Man United Copenhagen. It's all in the Totally Football Show Summer Special in association with Paddy Power. Well, here we are, listener. Sunday morning for you, 9th of August. For us, still Saturday night, fresh from uh, the final two last 16 games in the Champions League. We're joined by James Horncastle. Hello, James. Good morning. Mm. Also with us, Jack Lang. Jack, lovely to have you back. Lovely to be back, James. Thank That's you. That's great news. Nils Harold, that's right, of Danish Eurosport. He'll be along a little bit later on as well to tell us what Copenhagen are saying about their big Monday clash with Man United. They couldn't, could they? We'll be talking about that very shortly. But so much to discuss from Saturday. Obviously, the Champions League... But also, courtesy of our friends in Turin, one of the more jaw-dropping moments of the season. Maurizio Sarri out, Andrea Pirlo in. It's a bit bonkers, but I have to say, it just sounds brilliant. It really does. I'm excited. Um, And uh, I know people have got a lot of questions uh, Mm. about the appointment and his suitability for the role. But it's just great to see Pirlo bronzed, his hair sort of quaffed back in a suit, after what Pep Guardiola was wearing um, on the sidelines, I, I, I think you know, we, we can comfortably say that there will not be a better manager on the sidelines in a European uh, football league next season um, than, uh, than Andrea. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it could go in so many ways, but it, it's going to be a, a fantastic ride. And it, it's also curious how it seems to be always the managers now that, that give us the really kind of, oh my God, did that just happen moments. You know, player transfers you kind of see them coming from sometimes from months away. But it's it's the managers who give you moments like today when you're when you stop and like, oh my God, they've done what? And drift Pirlo <laughs> in. We'll we'll talk about, you know, the the whys and wherefores of all of this and, you know, salute Maurizio Sarri and, and and all that a bit later on. But uh, right now we've got some Champions League to talk. Uh, let's begin with Barcelona Napoli. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Goal number 634. I make that for Leo Messi. A Saturday night against Napoli. Few, even for him, I think were better than that. Absolutely extraordinary goal. Uh, interesting game, this Barcelona marching into the quarterfinals with a 3-1 win over Napoli. Napoli had started strongly. There were doubts over Barcelona's opening goal, a foul by Longley. But after what Leo Messi did, uh, they all seemed a little bit less relevant. Did you honestly think there, were, there have been few better goals than that? I think I think I think that's solidly mid-table. Really, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was amazing. So he he goes well, well, past. Where he almost loses possession and falls over. Yeah, no, not that. I mean, he, 
He goes past three. Maybe I'm easily impressed. Maybe it's recency bias, but he skips past three defenders, gets knocked to the ground, gets back up, is challenged again, and while falling over, produces this impossible shot to a part of the goal that he can't even see. Pass two, is it Manolas? I thought it was great. Yeah, all right, he scored some amazing goals. It was a good goal. I think it was a good goal. I think it was uh, showed his, his doggedness, which I think is an underrated facet of Messi's game, the fact that he does just bounce up from most challenges. And mm. yeah, great goal. But I, I think with Messi, there is a danger in exalting every goal so much that we, we do slightly lose track of, you know, he, he's triple past five or six players and slotted it into the top corner. 20, 30 times in the Champions League. I, you know, that goal is, I don't think will necessarily make the career long highlights packages. I, I quite liked his uh, disallowed one as well, but that was mainly right. about the the pass from De Jong. All right. Well, lovely outside of the boot uh, flick from De Jong across the penalty box to awaiting Messi, who kind of chests his way past the defender. And then a lovely finish on that one as well, but call back because. VAR. Jack, you didn't enjoy the VAR and there was plenty of it in this game. I rarely enjoy the VAR, James, as I'm I'm sure you know by now. But the, the penalty was was an interesting one. I think I think it is a penalty, but I don't think it was I don't know. I think I think those cases aren't as crystal clear as, as sometimes people think. The just really? the fact that Kulabali is the one kicking, you know, he, he does kick Messi and I think on balance it's probably fair, but I think you could mount an argument whereby Koulibaly is is in possession. He is legitimately striking at the ball and Messi kind of intervenes into Koulibaly's movement towards the ball. Messi doesn't touch the ball. Right. Um, you know, Jack, obviously. As, as wrong-headed as you thought my <laughs> take on Messi's goal was, I have to say that your take on this penalty... He, Koulibaly <laughs> was in possession of the ball. It takes so long about it that Messi steals in front of him and Koulibaly then kicks him in, in the back of the leg and he goes down. So it's it's kind of a penalty. Yeah, perhaps what's happening is the fact that I'm feeling sorry for Koulibaly is, right. is slightly clouding the judgment. But I, I think those things happen quite often and I, I'm i not certain they're always penalties. Probably in this case it was because Messi right. is very close to the ball. But... You know, it's not necessarily because Koulibaly is the one doing the kicking. You know, if, if you interrupt someone's kick earlier in their kick, for example, it's normally the the interrupter who gets pulled back. Well, they took four minutes uh, having a look at it, so I'm, I'm sure they got it right in the end. At least they had a look at it, James, which yeah. is, is, is not what they did in Turin on, no. on Friday night. That's true. Napoli had started the game well. They got a penalty at the end of the first half, which gave them the proverbial lifeline. And the start of the second half saw them dominating once again, but not to any great effect. I think they ended up with one shot on target for the entire game. It's sad to see them exit uh, in this fashion. And what do you make of Barcelona's performance as a whole, given that next up they're going to be facing Bayern Munich? Well, I think Bayern remain favourites for that game. Um, I know Jack wants to see uh, Barcelona kneecapped, um, as he put it on on Twitter. I I think that will happen um, in in Portugal um, because I think Bayern are are too good. I I thought Barcelona actually were were better than I was expecting um, tonight, um, in part because they have just got, as Lorenzo Insigne just said on Italian TV, uh, they've just got so much imagination, so many inventive players. Um, and De Jong um, tonight caught the eye. Um, certainly uh, 
looked up as Lelia Dani, the Sky Italia commentator, was going, Dion, un principe, un principe. Um, <laughs> which was exactly what I like from Adani. But um, uh, on the whole, I still think Bayern are just a much more better put together outfit. Um, and uh, they should have too much. And it might be reminiscent of, you know, when Bayern went on to win the treble and absolutely kind of took apart a an out of sorts um, Barcelona side, um, which I think they, they're kind of reminiscent of at the moment. Uh, James is right that I, I would like to see Barcelona uh, defenestrated or or some other posh verb of that ilk. I, I just think they are they're ripe for the taking, and I think it it would be uh, just desserts really for for the decadence, the the poor transfer dealings, and just the the lack of direction on the pitch, which I think was really was really evident tonight. Even though they had enough quality to get over the line. I'd like to know from James um, what he what he made of Napoli because this was probably a bigger opportunity than they made it look in the end. And I, I found them to be a little bit uh, polite, I think would be the phrase. Like the, the front three never really ruffled Barca's feathers. And I just wonder what James thought went wrong there. And it was a shame that they didn't because uh, that's going to be the last time we see that front three play together um Cajon Insigne and Mertens and they've given Napoli fans and just casual football fans around the world so much joy over the last what six or seven years it's odd that they kind of showed them too much respect um to use kind of standard football parlance in in a stadium that was empty um because that was something that Cattuso was saying uh, was an advantage for Napoli um going into the tie um that they would be able to control their emotions better and not be intimidated and by the same token um, there wouldn't be a crowd to kind of get a rise out of uh, of, of Barcelona I, I still felt it was quite nervy at some points for, for Barca but at the same time I don't think I was ever truly convinced that they could turn the tie back around um, I wonder if that kind of first 20-25 minutes of, of Messi doing messy things um, basically made them insecure um, and I think unfortunately for them a theme of their season it started this way and it's finished that way is that Koulibaly hasn't been the Koulibaly that we we kind of have become accustomed to over the last uh, five years We're just Atalanta left in the competition now representing Italian hopes Barcelona will be taking on Bayern at the Estadio de Luz next Friday. The only two former winners left in this competition, Bayern, who were 4-1 winners on Saturday over Chelsea. More phenomenal stuff uh, from Robert Lewandowski in this one. Uh, of the four goals, he assisted two and scored the other two, which means the seven goals from this tie that Bayern have scored, he's either assisted or scored them all. Incredible. He's now on 53 goals for the season in 44 matches. Uh, we were focusing on the Barcelona game, but Bayern's status as uh, favourites, I think, for most people, they're in the tough side of the draw, but Barcelona next, then either Man City or Lyon, and then in the final, Paris Saint-Germain, Atlanta, Atletico Madrid or, or Leipzig. I, it's hard to see who's going to stop them based on a, another performance like the one today. Yeah, I think they were very impressive. What was interesting, given how the first leg went, I wouldn't have been too surprised to have seen to see Hansi Flick rest a couple of players but he picked a very strong side and I think it felt like a 
a statement, a reintroduction to Europe. Obviously, they they bowed out on a very high note, but this was, yeah, very very convincing. Chelsea, in fairness, did make it make it quite easy for them. You look at the replays of the goals and the the spaces and the Chelsea defence are are enormous. And when you have a player of Lewandowski's quality, let alone all the you know the guys around him helping, I th- you know I think that's pretty much a dream evening for them and kind of starting to get their momentum back. So yeah, that they do look very dangerous. I think you know I'm not sure they'll beat Barcelona seven 0 like they did in in 2013, but I would have them as as fairly solid favourites after what we've seen tonight in that game. Well. Next up in this uh, two-week festival of football, it's back to the Europa League. That kicks off in uh, Germany on Monday night. We'll be looking ahead to Man United's clash with Copenhagen. Of course, next season's Champions League is already underway as well. Irish champions Linfield uh, winning Saturday, beating San Marino's uh, Trefiore, a 2-0 in Neon. Uh, So that's nice. Uh, Very shortly, we'll be talking about Monday's Europa League action. Uh, Next up, though, let's get a little bit deeper on that business in Turin. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Life comes at you pretty fast, department. July 25th, Sarri wins the City A title with Juventus. August the 7th, uh, Juve drop out of the Champions League. Less than 24 hours later, he is fired. Less than five hours after that, the club appoint rookie manager Andrea Pirlo, who had only just signed up to be their under-23 boss. Handed now one of the biggest jobs in the game. Uh, it's bold and exciting, as we said at the start, James. It also does sound a little bit mad because he's <laughs> never managed before. No. The last time they did this was with Chiro Firada, remember, and that did not go down particularly well. Uh, that was pre-Andrea Agnelli. Um, in fact, it was you know, kind of how bad events were doing at that time that motivated Agnelli to... Um, put his name forward to become president and basically completely transform the club into what it is again today. Um, but uh, I, th- I feel this has been coming, maybe not Pirlo, but certainly with uh, with Sadi. I mean, we've spoken about how unconvincing they have been all season. In fact, you know, even when they appointed Sarri, we um, kind of put forward our scepticism about it and uh, just how, in terms of a cultural fit, um, it didn't seem to work, and uh, you know, even though he has won the league title, I think he will be remembered in in much the same way that the former Verve Clico salesman Gigi Maifredi was, um, who who got the chop after a year uh, for failing to deliver the champagne football that everyone was expecting. That that is um, harsh. <laughs> but um, I think when it became palpable that Sari was in, in real trouble, um, was actually on the day um, that they presented Pirlo to the media as the under-23 coach because Sarri was giving his first press conference since uh, Juventus had won the title 
Um, and it was you know, sort of a normal kind of day, business as usual, and no fanfare. And then he left, and then Pirlo came in with literally everybody. Andrea Agnelli, Fabio Paratici, the chief football officer, Fedio Cherubini, who's like the head of the under-23s, has become very influential at Juventus. Um, and it felt like they were already unveiling uh, a first-team coach um, then. And I still find it very surprising that they've they've made this decision. Ultimately, um, I think they've done it for a number of reasons. Um, we haven't seen the football we were uh, associating with with Sarri from his particularly from his time at Napoli. It didn't really justify the change that they made from Allegri last year. All the things you you think about that make Juventus great. Their defence completely collapsed. Sort of relationships with some of the not only the star players but some of the fringe players. I think have become frayed, particularly over the last six months. Um, and you know he's admitted on a, on a few occasions, hasn't he? After what well, that first leg against Lyon, that he wasn't able to get through to the players. And mm. uh, I think it, it then became clear um, that Juventus were maybe going to have to abort this uh, experiment uh, just a year in. And to be honest, they haven't had much time um, in order to prepare succession because. Already by the end of this month, you know they're due back for pre-season. Um, so, in some respects, it's it's not a change that they'll have taken lightly. Um, but they need someone who knows the club, um, and Pirlo does. Um, but as 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 we say, we don't really know what to expect, and he'll inherit a lot of the same structural problems that that Sarri had um, right. over the course of the last season. Well, he's already in the club, and he's already on their books as well. So it'll be cheaper than. Uh, a lot of the alternatives would have been. And, and also, one of the positions that uh, Sarri was crying out for, for investment in, was was in the Pirlo role. So, mm. um, you know, it, it, in some respects, you know, Pirlo can... Maybe they're, they're, they're trying to kill two birds with one stone, James, and he can be player manager. Perhaps. Curious uh, destiny, though, for Maurizio Sarri at, in his last two jobs. A, a manager beloved at clubs like Empoli and, and Napoli, where he essentially won nothing, but at the, the clubs where he's actually brought some silverware... Uh, seems to have gone down very badly indeed. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's, personally, I, I've got a fair bit of sympathy for him, even since, you know, the Chelsea days and Keppergate and just <laughs> just the way in which his, his tactics were were not given much shrift by the Chelsea fans at times. But I was thinking about this earlier and then I thought, actually, you know what, maybe deep down, maybe he's not too disappointed by this. He's got He's got the trophy itch scratched already at Chelsea he's now won a league title uh you know done so without an enormous amount of drama even if they they made it close in the end and you know I I think he's got two massive payoffs one of those doubts over him is you know didn't have any titles to his name he's got that now and if I was him I'd be looking to to go back to what he knew and loved which is you know banking (laughs) yeah banking and smoking but no find a find a club within it with an identity, find somewhere that he can, you know, mount a project somewhere maybe slightly off uh, the top Champions League clubs. Go to go to Marseille, go to Bilbao, uh, Fiorentina, of, Fiorentina, yeah, a, a club where he can maybe uh, construct something again in his own image and doesn't have to be dealing with the uh, the kind of strict scrutiny that clubs like Juventus clearly have. Somebody pointed out on social media, it's curious that Chelsea, in the kind of shock of their post Sarri. Uh, reaction went, kind of fell back on a on a cherished former player 
And that's exactly what Juve are doing as well. Paratici has been briefing about how the club think that Pirlo is predestined as a manager in the same way that he was as a player, a natural talent who almost doesn't need any coaching or training. Um, what indications do we have about what kind of football he might play and how, if it will uh, fit any better with the squad that he'll be inheriting? Well, he's spoken about uh, playing uh, possession football, um, that he's not wedded to any particular formation, um, You know that uh, ultimately his influences have been Carlo Ancelotti, uh, Marcello Lippi. So guys who essentially look at the group that they've got and try and create a very strong team spirit and, and from that kind of sense of unity, build something special. Um, so, you know, I think the other thing that he's kind of said, which again is an intangible, is, um, you know, always playing to win, um, which, you know, I'm sure Maurizio Sarri did. But for the last six months, uh, I think one of the main concerns at Juventus was was that they were losing winning habits. You know, like, for example, um, they would get in front and just switch off um, and, and allow teams back into games, uh, too casual. Um, or when they'd already won the league, um, in contrast to other years, they didn't keep winning. Um, they basically just were like, yeah, whatever, uh, it's fine. Um, and I don't think that was acceptable. I think they'll they'll look to him to bring back a, a relentlessness to this Juve side, but also they want yeah, they want uh, the club to kind of play in his image, mm. um, which is some image. You're listening to the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Monday sees the Europa League Final 8 begin in Germany. Among the many exciting fixtures is Man United up against Danish runners-up Copenhagen, who put out uh, Turkish champions Bershaksa here uh, with a thrilling performance just last Wednesday. Could they spring another surprise? Well, let's dial up our friend Nils Harald of Eurosport Denmark. Well, Nils, thank, thank you for joining us. A uh, huge game on Monday. Yeah, it's, it's huge and nobody expected this. Everybody was kind of expecting the Europa League to be over for FC Copenhagen. They knew that the Manchester United game was behind the Basaksa here game. But because of the bad season FC Copenhagen had, nobody was expecting this to happen. So, yeah, it's huge and everybody is looking quite forward to this. All right. Copenhagen looked really good in the second leg against Basaksa here last week. Yeah, and it was a big surprise because it really was a bad season. You know, they had big trouble in the Superliga. Was uh, was in a huge uh, row of games without winning anything, and they finished at second place, which is bad for FC Copenhagen. If Sametjylland won the league, and everybody was expecting that this season was almost over. Now it was like, okay, let's get the last game done. But they came out. They had a week off. Everybody went went home and went back to training after a week of vacation. And the injuries were cleaned up. They had vital players coming back. Nikolai Boylinson coming back. Jonas Wind was coming back. And suddenly everything seemed to click against a side that really wasn't up for it in the park. Mm. So a surprise Danish side in a summer knockout tournament. We, we've heard this before, haven't we? Do, do, you, think, <laughs> do you think that Copenhagen could, could spring the surprise against United? I think it's 2080 in percent. It's like it's 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 a good United team. It's a very very good United team, 
And even though Stola Solbach know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer very well, they text each other regularly, you know, they go back a long time in Norwegian football, those two coaches, I think they're just too good for FC Copenhagen. But, you know, last time they won uh, 1-0, last mm. time they played, FC Copenhagen won 1-0 in 2006. So you never know. And it's, 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 it's the feeling here. Yeah, it's like nobody is expecting anything, but, you know, it could happen. You never know. Right. Uh, Solbakken's an interesting character. I read that he's promised his win bonus to the team if they do defeat Man United. <laughs> yeah. And he also knows all about coming back from the dead because he literally did as a player. Yeah, he was dead for like six or seven minutes. Uh, that's a lot. I think it's like 20 years ago he was playing and he, he fell about in the in the training ground. Uh, luckily, there was a clock doctor there who, who got him back to life and he was uh, operated in the heart and got a pacemaker and, and now everything is going well with him. And uh, he's, he's going very strong and he's, he's very healthy looking and very good. You know, he's a good coach for the FC Copenhagen, has been, been that for many years. But that was a miracle. I mean, that was touch and go for him. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Jonas Wynn before, uh, two goals for him in the game against Pasak Shahir. Magnus Falk also uh, impressed in that game. What about their approach, Nils, on, on Monday? Against Celtic, it was very much you have the possession, but we'll take the win as they knocked the uh, Glaswegians out of the cup earlier on. But it, there was a much more bold and outgoing approach against Pasak Shahir. Yeah, and they felt that the opposition wasn't really there, so they could go for it. And they, did, and they had a, an early goal. And, you know, that changes football games. So um, an impressive game. And it was not typical of AFC Copenhagen because they like to stand deep in the European games, especially when they're away from home. Right. OK, well, we'll see you on Monday then. Uh, have a great uh, great match. You're going to be working on the game for Danish TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on the script right now for, for the... For the for the evening, we'll be doing a two hours preview, and it'll, it'll be on the, on Discovery's channels in Denmark, and it'll be huge. It's a big game. I mean, it's what we all live for, isn't it? And it's not 1992, but who knows? Well, there you go, Nils Harold of Eurosport Denmark. Jack, is this the bit where the Europa League gets fun for you? Man United up against the uh, plucky Danes. Yes, I think so. I I do keep an eye on the Europa. I think the uh, the Europa League goals show one hour highlights package during the group stage is probably the best hour of television out there because it's just like... what of any genre <laughs> yes yeah it's up there it's definitely up there because it's just it's just an hour because the Europa League is so big at the group stage they've got so much to pack in it's just the perfect number of replays for each goal like they don't mm. dilly dally and it's just third tier Brazilian imports scoring ridiculous goals for like Bulgarian clubs, anyway. But yeah, this is this is clearly where it gets a bit more, a bit more interesting. This, I mean, the Man United fixture is not the most compelling one coming up. We'll talk about Inter, Leverkusen in a minute. But yeah, I think this does look like a very winnable clash for United, given the main issue towards the end of the season was the fact that they looked dead on their feet, and most of those players have now had a rest. Uh, a few extra days because most of the uh, the first teamers didn't play against Lask. I would yeah be I'd be surprised if they didn't make fairly short work of Copenhagen. All right, well the magic of cup football, of course, is that anything could happen in Copenhagen's first ever European quarter final. Uh, meantime, the other game Monday night, Inter against Bayer Leverkusen, we'll be discussing that after we hear from Lee Price of Paddy Power. Hmm, it all gets a bit juicy now in the Europa League. Suddenly we're all interested. 
the first match on Monday evening into Leverkusen. We make neither side odds on, which is usually an indicator of a close tie. Inter are the 11-10 favourites. Leverkusen, who bashed Rangers, are 9-4. That is pretty close. The other game, though, less so. United are 2-9 to nine to beat Copenhagen. And let's face it, that's probably value. You'd expect them to win. Copenhagen 9-1 to one to pull off a huge shock. And as for the finalists, you can bet on who they will be. The favourite pick, of course, is United and Inter at 12-5. to five. But some interesting combinations in there. Inter and Sevilla, for instance, couldn't rule that one out. 7-1. to one. Wolves and Inter, 15-2. to two. Or how about this? Sevilla and Bayer Leverkusen, 9-1. to one. Juicy. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, then stop. Inter are in Dusseldorf on Monday night, taking on Bayer Leverkusen. Jack, have you seen much Leverkusen? Did you did you see their last 16 clash against uh, Rangers? I've seen, yeah, I've seen bits and bobs of them, especially in the, when the Bundesliga was back. They're a good team. I like them. They're a little bit... Uh, hot and cold I would say but they've certainly got lots of uh, great individuals obviously Kai Havertz with uh, people know plenty about him by now and we're probably going to know even more Who? about him uh, yeah He's, Frank uh, Lampard has just told Archie Rin Tut formerly of the BT European Football Show that he does not expect Kai Havertz to be joining Chelsea okay curious but it's not just Havertz the I mean Moussa Diaby is a really nice player who's impressed me since the return to football. A lot of pace, uh, two-footed, like the look of him a lot. And I've I've always had a soft spot for for Charles Arangues, the Chilean midfielder. He he set up Diaby's goal against Rangers with a gorgeous kind of inside-to-out pass. And I think if he if he had had a tiny bit more physical presence, he would have been uh, a midfielder for one of the the top clubs in Europe. I think, but he's he's just ticks under the radar, but a, a lovely player on his day. And I, I think uh, this has the potential to be a very, very open, good-looking contest if, hmm. if both of them play to their attacking potential. OK, fingers crossed. Leverkusen, with the slight advantage of the fact that they're playing kind of down the road from their own home, although obviously no fans present in the stadium. James, how convinced were you by Inter's, on paper, comfortable 2-0 win over Getafe? Uh, earlier in the week? Well, I thought that it was a complete team performance. And what I mean by that is they needed their goalkeeper to make a couple of very good saves. Um, also, Molina, the veteran Getafe striker, uh, missed the penalty. Um, but saying that, they actually played pretty well. Uh, there were a lot of kind of good individual performances. Alessandro Bastoni, their young left-sided centre-half, had a hand in both goals. Um, Lukaku scored a, a kind of classic of his uh, goal-scoring repertoire, um, if you like. And they were able to overcome, you know, what is quite predictable um, uh, these days, which is, you know, opponents basically try and shut down Marcelo Brozovic, um, their Croatian playmaker, um, and stop into playing that way. And, and they overcame that either from, as I said, their centre-backs becoming playmakers or, or, or going out wide. So I'm really intrigued by this clash because it is one of those games where you look at Inter's history and tradition, you look at the investment that they've made in the summer, you look at their manager, you look at the talent that they've got available to them and you know you respect Leverkusen for what they are, which is a sort of 
finishing school for um, the, the top four in England. And yet uh, it's exactly the kind of opponent that Inter tend to go out to. Um, so it's a real big measure of, of, of their maturity and how far they've come under Conte. They did actually yeah, pretty well, let's not forget, in the group of death in the Champions League um, away from home. Uh, where they would often get in front at half-time against Barcelona and Dortmund, only to then throw that advantage away, which of course had nothing to do with Antonio Conte. It's because the club hadn't spent enough money in the summer and were only buying him players from Cagliari and Sassuolo. Um, but, uh, look, Inter should be should be qualifying for the, the semi-finals. They should be, should be going through to the final and winning, uh, and, and at least... Keeping the Italian flag flying high um, mm. in, in a way that, say, uh, Juventus and, and Napoli have failed to do um, over the last two nights. You referenced before the game Christian Eriksen's problems under Antonio Conte. He came on slightly earlier than, than of late in this game with about 10 minutes to go and immediately scored. Would that help his prospects at all? Well, he's been uh, obviously been criticised quite a lot and, and Conte doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in him. I think it was important. For his confidence to, to get a goal, it just again goes to show the kind of depth that Inter have got because they could bring on him, bring on Alexis. Um, so they've certainly got firepower. But I, I'm still not entirely convinced where he fits in um, at Inter because I think one of the reasons why they've rebounded a bit um, towards the end of the season was Conte's experiments with this kind of 3-4-1-2. Um, he basically just said, ah, it's not working. Let's just go back to what what uh, was was doing well for us before, just a straight three five two, and they started winning. They looked more solid, and obviously that's that's to the detriment um, of Ericsson. So, look, I, I, I'm, I'm I think he'll at this moment in time he'll he'll still be the option off the bench rather than a starter. Well, winners of that clash will be up against Shakhtar or Basel in the semi-finals. Meantime, whoever makes it out of the Man United Copenhagen game will have the pleasure of taking on either Wolves or Sevilla in the semi-finals. Wolves taking on the Andalusians, of course, in Tuesday's quarter-final. Monday morning, can I mention that, uh, James, you and I will be kicking off a brand-new uh, Club 2020 daily show, 11 o'clock on BT Sport 1 and on YouTube, in an exciting kind of Jaffa Cake-styled studio overlooking, well, Stratford, really. Yeah, we did a pilot um, yesterday, which it, it felt like uh, this morning, um, yeah. with uh, you as Richard, me as Judy. I don't know. It, was, it had a su- um, there's a Sunday supplement table. It might actually be the Sunday supplement table. Yeah, Lord knows with pomegranates, which I don't think you'd ever see on the on the Sunday supplement table. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so there's that, and of course Monday night we'll be back with the Totally Football Show summer special reviewing. Uh, those first two Europa League quarterfinals. Do hope you join us for that. Jack, it was lovely to see you again today and I uh, hope you'll be with us again soon. Have you got big plans for this extraordinary fortnight of football? Watch a lot of it. Uh, Good. Just just to go on your daily show, it starts early, huh? 11 in the morning. How yeah. we got to keep that going all day, huh? Well, it's it's only an hour. <laughs> it's only an hour long. Oh, it's I not see. like an FA Cup build-up. Uh, I, I was banking on you being in there all day. That's a shame. I mean, we could, obviously, but 11 to 11.45 for you if you want. That's it for today's show. Many thanks, Jack. Thank you, James Horncastle. Thank you, Producer Charlie. And thank you, listener. Uh, Have a great Monday. We'll catch you on the other side. 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.